Thanks for joining us for 5 Miles Easy. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like, share and subscribe. Here's a preview of what's to come. And I was screaming for help um, because I was hanging on to, to snow and my poles were kind of over on the ledge. And it's the, I'm, I'm a 45 year old woman. I am going through the perimenopause. I have an intensely busy life. And so it's still that element of, of freedom because I think without it, I, without it, I don't think I know, without it, I wouldn't be here. On last week's episode, we were joined by Rob Martineau, the founder of Tribe. And this week, we're continuing the theme of trail running and people who have founded amazing communities. Our guest today is a trail running enthusiast. She's guaranteed to get you lacing up your trainers and heading out to the mountains. She's an ultra runner, an author, a run coach, a podcaster, and the founder of Black Trail Runners. We are going to be joined by the incredible Sabrina Pace Humphreys on the sofa very soon. And what's more amazing is she only started running after giving birth to her fourth child. Steph, I cannot wait for this episode and just to find out all about Sabrina's journey. But first of all, how's your week been? I have had a good week of running uh, and also strength training because as we said last week I was kind of struggling to get back into the gym after the marathon and then we had Aiden on the show and I was really motivated so I did my own session then I did we did a session with Aiden and then we did another gym workout as well so I kind of threw myself back into the gym and now I'm really motivated to go so yeah that's been good and then good work running wise also yeah good week of training um what about yours yeah I've also had a good week I'm I'm the same actually I'm feeling really motivated in the gym so you know the pod the pod works yes there we go um but I think just having that gym we did our gym session together which really helps going to the gym with someone tick that off mm-hmm. um and then I did drag myself to the gym last night as well um in the evening so two well two sessions done yeah good week of running it has been so cold though oh it is i have no freezing. idea what's happened yeah i mean i don't know why i sound so pr- surprised because it's basically december but i feel like i always get to this same time of year and i'm always surprised by it yeah and i think in england it's never really that gradual it's like you wake up one morning and the season has and changed it's bullshit, yeah <laughs> yeah so gloves are on every run, long sleeves, leggings, mm. even had my headband on the other day. It's so cold. Yeah, although I have to say, it's been a lovely weekend of running, even though it's been cold because it's been that it's been sunny. Yes. And the sun makes such a difference. And yes, I was in leggings, but had a delightful long run, partly with you in Bushy Park. Yeah. With the sun out. Um, so that was that was great. And actually once I defrosted after about five miles. I did enjoy it, but I have to say those first five, I was really questioning my existence. Well, didn't you have another like 19 miles after that? So Yeah, it was a long, long run, so I was questioning it. But once I got into it and got warm, it was lovely. Mm -hmm. And then Sunday, we joined a very fun run club, which is quite topical because we're going to be talking a lot about running communities, running groups today. Um, And I I think that was a highlight of my week. It was so lovely and Nellie came along, Willow came along, our dogs, and they loved it as well. And it's just so nice to be around. You can get very caught up in your own training and what you're working for as a goal. And it's so nice to be around such a range of runners as well, where mm. running is something different for everyone. And just to like chat to friends and meet new people, it's just <laughs> nice. Yeah. So for context for our listeners, we went to Josh Patterson's Sunday service run club in Battersea yes. Park. And 9 a.m. Sundays. 9 a.m. Sundays. It's just a 5k around the park um, and very casual, chatty, quite a kind of peaceful environment, mm. except <laughs> for the fact that I feel like we turned up with our friend Hannah and our three dogs and basically completely destroyed any kind of peaceful element <laughs> because of the dogs. And I have Willow, Willow, my dog probably took out about three people, but that's normal. Now her dog, Steve, I just, 
I want to give Steve some time, some airtime on the pod because I was genuinely just laughing about Steve on this run club for the whole afternoon. Yeah. I mean, firstly, you know how you know how people say, you know, you take after your name. This spaniel, Steve, is just such a Steve. <laughs> he, <laughs> he has such, such a Steve personality. He really does have a Steve personality. And the personality. whole run club, it was just Hannah screaming, <laughs> Steve, Steve. <laughs> it's like you didn't know where Steve had gone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if anyone see what's that video of the um the dog in Richmond Park that went viral. Um, ben, oh. ben, Fenton. 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 It was a real <laughs> Fenton moment, but yeah. with Steve. And Steve was just all over Battersea Park. No idea where he was. So while everyone was coming to the Sunday Run Club to, you know, get some headspace, there was us three just yelling for this dog, <laughs> Steve. It was brilliant. Run. And it distracted from... <laughs> The cold, cold weather. Yeah, so it was great very start today. And this week we've also received a DM from someone just relating to the cold weather. I thought it would be appropriate to answer it on the episode um, because it could be helpful for other people. So this message says, um, a question for you both now we're approaching the winter training period. What's your approach with training during sickness, e.g. a head cold, do you train as normal, just drop the workouts slash intensity or completely rest until you're better? That's a good question, isn't it? I think with Christmas approaching, it's like, it is the real like illness shift. I actually had a few weeks ago, I had my first cold of the year, mm. which I feel like the less you get ill, the more sorry for yourself you feel when you get ill. And it really was not that relative. bad, but yeah. I felt really sorry for myself. What did I, I did carry on running, but... I didn't do my session because I just, I had a really annoying, like bunged up mm. cough, chesty situation going on. Yeah. So I did miss one session, but I kept running and just easy. Yeah. And you felt all right doing that. Yeah. I felt fine doing it. I actually, I felt I better is. going out for a run because it kind yeah. of cleared my head. Yeah. That's what I think it is. It's like, you know, your body best. So if you think you're doing the wrong thing, then you probably are. But if you think actually this is helping, you know, just going for something easy, then I'm sure it's no issue. I always go by, there's a bit of a rule of thumb that I've heard where if it's like your neck and above, then you're good to run. So, you know, if you've just got, you're a bit bunged up and stuff, but if it's like you've got a chest infection and you're like properly ill, then it's not going to do you any good. So it's quite a good way to do it, but at the end of the day, you know your body best. Yeah, so. and I feel like once you get going, you know if it's a good idea or yeah, not. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know if you're like, oh, actually, I feel a bit better for this or whether you just feel like you're about to drop down. Yeah. Then probably turn back. Turn back because it's only going to make you more ill for longer. Yeah. So it's doing you no good, but hopefully that helps. Okay, should we crack on with the show? Let's do it. Thanks for joining me, Rose Harvey. And me, Steph McCall. For Five Miles Easy. The podcast where we go behind the scenes on the highs, lows and learnings of our running journeys. And bring you conversations to inspire, motivate and get you one step closer to your running goals. So let's lace up for 5 Miles Easy. Sabrina, thanks so much for joining us for 5 Miles Easy today. Our first question, which we ask all our guests, is what is your why when it comes to running? Gosh, I think I think my why when it comes to running is number one, my children. Um, and a close a close second would be mental health. Because without good mental health, I wouldn't be able to be the mother I am to my children and the grandmother to my grandchildren. So I think they are my why. And I think that whenever I'm in a deep dark place with running it's them that I go to. It's them that pull me through. So yeah, they are the reason. They are my reason. They're my song. Oh, and you just must be so inspirational to them. I mean, I cannot believe you're a mother of four, but be a grandmother. <laughs> and I just think you must be the coolest grandma out there. <laughs> I mean, it sounds really weird saying grandma, but yeah, yeah you must be the coolest one. Yeah, out there. I am granny. I'm, I'm, I'm so, it's such a beautiful relationship because I had my first child early. So I was pregnant at 17. I had her two months after I turned 18. So I've always been that kind of young 
person doing the things and when she told me she was pregnant I was just oh my god oh my god am I ready to be a grandmother and as soon as that child was born I was obsessed and then when my other two grandsons came I'm so I'm I like to think I inspire them I what I love is the fact that I can still really run fast after Mm, them you know and I can I can do all of that stuff that my grandparents kind of couldn't do with me um you know the really the really chasey stuff and you know they just can't get away from me so it's it's a beautiful thing (laughs) oh yeah I bet you'll be taking them out on their first 5k hell yeah such an inspiration I'm that school sports day grandmother you know I'm the one I'm like the coach (laughs) I mean I am a coach but I am the coach I'm shouting I'm like (laughs) up tall use your arms drive and I'm just lose it whenever they win races at sports day and stuff so do you do the parents race I do yeah, I do, I do, you know, I do. But I'm a long distance runner. So those yeah. sprint, you know, I'm just like those hundred meter sprints. I'm just like, oh God. But you know, I'm like, put me in like a a, a longer like cross country type thing, which they don't seem to have at sports day. <laughs> and I really come into my own. That's brilliant. Yeah, I can and definitely relate to that. You just need like a 10 mile warm up and it. then go into it. It's and so you'll be fine. true. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know what it's like. I was talking to a friend about it the other night. Um, we were on a, a night marathon as my kind of last long run before my ultra and and I was like oh you know rude and my you know my my legs just still don't feel warm and it was like 10 miles in and and that's what happens it's all relative isn't it it's kind of like what used to be when I started running a mile or half a mile to warm up now it it just takes time for the body to warm up so yeah 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 I'm definitely the same and you've achieved so much in running uh, as an ultra runner, a coach, a founder of the community and charity Black Trail Runners. Yeah. But it's not actually been that many years since you started running. So what got you into it in the first place and how did you get into it? So, and I think it's really key, key to say here, like, I don't come from a running background at all. Like Our family, we grew up quite poor. So therefore my mum could never, a single parent family, um, my mum could never afford to send us to any kind of clubs and we could never afford, you know, we kind of secondhand clothes, hand-me-downs and stuff like that. So so I didn't do any kind of extracurricular clubs really. And, you know, when I had my my first, my older children, I put on a lot of weight um, and to lose the weight, I would go to the gym, but I would never go on the treadmill. It would be like, cross trainer step machine I would do loads of classes but I was just not a runner and when I had my fourth child I had Sicily in 2009 and I experienced really really severe postnatal depression um to the point where as I talk about it within my book that I I didn't even really know how ill I was mentally I just knew that I found it really difficult to connect with this baby and I didn't kind of want her near me and it was it was I just I felt such a disconnection to life and I went to my doctor uh, for the three-month check that any any kind of mothers listening to the podcast will know you go for a three-month check they check over the baby they they're also checking you over and I was asked some questions and she what I didn't know she was assessing my mental health and the the responses I was giving were quite concerning for her and she diagnosed pretty quickly that I was very depressed and it was postnatal depression and alongside talk therapy and medication she said you know I really want you to just try and do something that takes you out of the house that isn't like the stuff that you're normally doing that something outdoors you know why don't you try jogging and I was just like looked at her like I don't jog I don't (laughs) run I'm not a runner it's not something it's not a world that I understand it was kind of those days before Park Run, like the Park Run wasn't in 2009, it wasn't Park Run wasn't really a thing, certainly not in my world. And I just for a couple of days, I think I put it off. I was like, I'm not running, like, I'm not going to do that. I was like five stone overweight as well. And 
I got to the, pay, the the state one day, I was so low, you know, I was so depressed. I was so, like, questioning my own life and, and whether I really wanted to be here. And I was just like, you know, if the doctor's saying to me, try jogging, I should try. And I went out, I put on, you know, everyone's got them. I didn't have any running gear. I had, like, an old painting T-shirt, some joggy paint, joggers that were, like, painting joggers, a pair of old school Dunlops, I think, I found in the cupboard, and I was so ashamed of my body because I'd put on so much weight. I knew that I didn't want to run on the road. I was like, I don't want anyone to see me. I don't know how to run. I had a bottle of Evian mineral water in my hand. And I went down to the canal towpath. And little did I know it was a trail. But I was just like, no one will see me here. And I, for about a mile, I would imagine, it took about 40 minutes, I... I wouldn't call it run, I shuffled and I walked. One minute walk, one minute shuffle. And it it was just so hard. It was so, like, I didn't know if I was doing it right. I My heart rate rose really, really quickly. My breathing, I didn't know how to breathe properly. I was worried, like, my legs were like jelly really quickly. So I was like, I'm going to fall in the canal. <sighs> And when I eventually got home and I fell in the door and my husband looked down at me and he was like, you know, are you all right? And although I was like physically spent, I was like, you know what? I've just had 40 minutes that I haven't thought about taking my own life. Like I had 40 minutes where the only thing that I could think about was move forward, mm. don't fall in the canal, breathe. Like, oh, that's one minute you can walk again. These things that we tell ourselves when we're moving forward in order to keep moving forward, just the act of thinking of them and nothing else came in. And I'd realised that, oh, my God, I haven't had any dark thoughts for like 40 minutes. Whereas those thoughts just, they just, just, you know, they were, they filled up my mind day to day. And that freedom is what made me go back like a couple of days later after I could like move again I went back out and I did probably I you know it was probably another one minute walk one minute shuffle but I craved that freedom of mind that escape from the dark thoughts and that's how it started so and and I think it's a really I feel no shame in telling that story and in talking about my my mental illness struggles and, and mental health and how I manage that on the daily because I know that lots and lots of people feel that way. And mm. to this day, it's still the top reason why I get out there and do what I do because I still experience those episodes of depression, high anxiety, and it's running as a form of movement that helps me still to this day get freedom. Mm, I think that's so important for people to hear because firstly, I think the, the, I mean, there are a few things there. I think a lot of people expect, you know, when they start running that they should be able to just go out and run a few miles and it doesn't feel like hell. <laughs> and I love the fact that you're so open and honest about how hard it was <laughs> And how it wasn't nice, okay. apart from the fact that, you know, those, that feeling of extreme discomfort took you away from the mm. other feelings of discomfort. Mm. But, I mean, look at where you are now. Mm. You got back out. I expect the next time you did it, it was just as painful. Yeah. But you still got back out and you just embraced that, that horrible feeling mm -hmm. and that suffering. Mm. And now, you know, running is such an amazing and positive and fun part of your life mm. and obviously brings you a lot of joy we can see that so I think that's awesome to hear and just you know being so open about how how running has helped you so much in in your mental health struggles because I'm sure you know I feel like postnatal depression is is a bit people don't talk about no. it that much and I'm I mean I'm at the age now where my friends are starting to have children and I've had a couple of friends who have you know, gone into maternity leave thinking this is going to be bliss mm. and it's really hard. Mm. So again, that's a conversation that is just, it's so important to have. But running 
has obviously helped you, you know, helped you hugely through that period. Now I can imagine you go out and, you know, everyone doesn't hurt because you're so much better. So what is it about running now that helps you mentally? And if you're feeling down, I mean, I'm sure you still do hard sessions, Mm. so I can imagine it is part of that. But is there anything else that you just love about it? I think it's that I'm I'm a 45-year-old woman. I am going through the perimenopause. I have an intensely busy life and so it's still that element of of freedom but I'm not necessarily yes I do still experience episodes of depression and and you know depending on how busy life is or what what I'm dealing with higher or medium or or low periods of, of of anxiety just general every day but I think that Whereas before I was kind of trying to kind of escape those feelings of, you know, do I belong here? I'm no good for anyone. I am not performing. I'm not a great mum. I'm not a great wife. I'm not a great businesswoman. Now, the longer I guess that I've gone and the stronger in mind that I felt since then, running is now a way in order to work through that stuff. So rather Mm. than me trying to escape it, running gives me kind of that clarity of mind that I can actually, I have some of the best conversations with myself when I'm out running long. It's kind of almost, I'll start off by thinking, okay, well, I kind of need to work through this issue that's going on, whether it's charity or whether it's in life. Asking myself questions and then movement helping me to kind of almost really tune in to me Mm. for those answers to come through that the general hubbub of life doesn't let through because you don't give yourself enough time yeah and I think that that's what I love about the form of running that I do you know in trail running in the sense of that communion with nature and moving my body and feeling really really strong so much stronger than I felt in 2009 gives me a new a new sense of like I'm not running to escape mm-hmm. I'm running to kind of almost continually refine myself does yeah. that make sense yeah, it does totally it's something Rose and I have spoken about a lot of just trying to organize your thoughts and it's something you can't necessarily do just when you're experiencing life like it takes a run to be able to kind of use it as a filing system and create clarity that's it yeah absolutely we always say it's like I'm like sometimes our voice notes Steph in the morning about the podcast and it'll be a complete stream of just random thoughts I'm like I'm going for a run to organize my brain and I'll come back and it will be this ordered like filed system (laughs) and I'm going to come back and give you a better voice note yeah yeah it does it just it's just so good and then another thing you said reminded me of something people have asked me before is so you run so much like what are you running away from and then I try and flip it and say no it's things I'm running to yes and that kind of reminded me of what you just said is okay maybe at the beginning you were running away from a few things but that's now transformed into you can use running to run towards all these opportunities and finding clarity which is just incredible and then you also spoke about ultra running trail running it didn't take you that long after you started running to suddenly discover the ultra world what drew you to wanting to run so far and how how did that happen how it happened is so it's so great that you it's this I so believe in the power of synchronicity it's really funny the other evening I was looking you know Facebook memories pop up Mm. and my first taste of ultra running was through a friend so when I got into running initially in 2009 I for about a year and a half I did it on my own I I I don't even know that I followed a training plan. I was just listening to my body and kind of slowly increasing distance. And I've always been quite goal orientated. So I think I was like, oh, well, I'll, I think the next day, you know, 5K and then I'll go to 10K. And 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 then uh, when I did my first half marathon, which was Bath Half Marathon, I was like, you know what? I feel as though I need to surround myself with people that kind of are runners and kind of do this stuff. And, and it was one of my friends, Sharon, who was an ultra runner. 
And I remember like she would say, I'm going out and I'm going to go and run a marathon as a training run and I'm going to go and then I'm doing this hundred miler. And the other night I'd seen that I had posted this memory saying, oh, you know, tracking my friend Shazza, she's 76 miles into a hundred miler. And then someone came back to me on the comment and said, what is that? Why, why is she doing that? And I, this, this response was, you know, she's what they call an ultra runner. And I saw it and I was like, God, life is just, it just keeps giving because now I'm an ultra running, but it was through her that I was first introduced to the sport of running long. But I, how I came to it was that I had worked through the different distances and I'd, I'd done my first London marathon and, and then I'd done Berlin and I'd done Amsterdam. I did different marathons and I, another one of my, uh, another one of the, the areas of my life that I, that I talk about is that I am a recovering alcoholic. So I was running, I was working on my mental health, but another coping mechanism that I had been using and, and just, you know, has, had got worse over the years was that, you know, I'd have a glass of wine to chill out at night and then a glass becomes two glasses and two glasses becomes a bottle. And then it's, it's how that illness, how that addiction can start to take over. I was never, you know, I was not your typical and there's this stereotype around alcoholics, you know, you wake up in the morning, you need a drink there is lots of different ways that you can be an alcoholic. I never woke up in the morning and I needed a drink. And actually I could go for a couple of days without a drink. But I was what they called a binge alcoholic. When I started drinking, I couldn't stop. So I went into recovery. Again, you know, through running, I was like, I can't, I have to address this, this addiction. Um, so I went into recovery in a fellowship and my sponsor said to me in 2016, she said, you know, Sabrina, you've really got to kind of get really, get really busy living. And um, I knew it was my 40th birthday coming up and it was, I was 40 in 2018. And, and I thought, okay, so traditional old school Sabrina, she would be like, have a birthday weekend, loads of partying, you know, big house party, drink it, et cetera, et cetera. I can't do that. But I do need something to focus on. And I was it was at home one Saturday night and I it was, you know, early on in my sobriety, you know, you're sitting there feeling a bit sorry for yourself. You're like, what am I doing tonight? I'm just sitting here drinking tea on a Saturday night. You know, it's just early recovery is strange. And I flicked over to the Discovery Channel, just flicking through, and I just saw this documentary about this race, and it was being narrated by Jimmy Nesbitt, you know, the Irish actor, mm. and it was his voice, and he was saying, you know, this is James Cracknell, you know, Olympian, and he is taking on the toughest foot race on earth, and then it shot to footage of James Cracknell hooked up to IV drips, <laughs> bringing up bile, hallucinating, oh, you know, God. this fit Olympian, and... And then Jimmy Nesbitt said, you know, and this is the Marathon de Saab, you know, the toughest foot race on earth. And I was watching it thinking, holy hell, like, why would you do that to yourself? Why would you run in the Sahara Desert? Why would you carry everything you need on your back? Why would you, why would you run in like 45 to 50 degree heat up sand dunes, up Jebel? Like, and, but although I was watching it thinking, why would you do that? Why would you do that? There was something inside me that was like something switched. And I was just like, I wonder if I could do I wonder if for my 40th birthday as like something to celebrate making it to 40 because there were so many days I did not think I'd see 40 I wonder if I could do that little old me and yeah I came off watching that and a couple of days later I found I'd found out when the next when the registration for 2018 was open um what I'd need to do to register and when it opened, I was there on my laptop and I got a space. And it, I, I, then I went through 18 months of training, mainly in the UK, for running the Marathon de Saab. And I found, I knew that I wanted to be coached. It was the first time I'd ever even thought about a coach. And me being me, I found a coach called Elizabeth Barnes, who'd won the Marathon de Saab three times. <laughs> and in good hands then. Yeah, and, and, and it was... It was an amazing experience. It was, it you know, anyone, as, as you all know, like, you know, when you commit to a training plan, you commit to to that form of training for such a massive event. Um, it, 
I knew it wouldn't be easy, especially being a mum and a businesswoman at that time. I was running my own award-winning PR business. And, but I was so focused. I was like, I want this. I want to make it to that start line. And, and I did. And I... And the finish line. And the finish line, you know, and I, I crossed, you know, I crossed the line and, you know... How did that yeah. feel? Oh, it's just like, I... Everyone, when I was going through the training and it was tough, it was it was really loads of early mornings, really early mornings and, you know, running with weight, running with a really heavy pack that I'd never run with before, you know, but you have to, you know, I was very much, well, if I'm going to be running with this pack in the Sahara, I'm, I want to start running with it as quickly as possible to get used to the weight. Um, and... You know, I crossed the I crossed the line. You know, as eleventh British woman, and I could not believe that I had done it. You know, the the photo that it went viral. Actually, the photo of me in the arms of Patrick, who is the founder of Marathon de Sable. He's the daddy of the race. He gets on the jeep every morning and dances and hip thrusts to Highway to Hell, but. It meant everything to me because I knew that so many people at home were like watching that GPX and I knew that my children were like my little girl. There was one night at MDS, which was the long stage, which was like 86K. And as I talk about within the book, everything went wrong for me that day. You know, I couldn't get my stove to light because it was really windy, so I couldn't have hot food. And so I I survived 86K on like two packs of mini cheddars. And going through the night, and I remember there was one June I was going up, and I just fell to my knees because I was just so energy depleted. And I just looked up to the sky, and I would see all these satellites, you know, that you see when you're up in the sky. And I'd look down at my GPS, and I was like, I just, why am I here? Like, why am I doing this? And I'd ask my children to, to like, write me letters. And I pulled out one of the letters that my little girl had written me. And it was a drawing. And it was, like, the MDS finish line. And it was, like, me going over it. And this speech bubble. She was only, like, eight then. But speech bubble saying, you know, Sabrina Pace Humphrey's winner of MDS. And it's just like, oh, that's what I'm saying. Like, they're my wise. Like, my yeah. little girl believed that her mum could win this thing. And so I was like, I'm going to get up. I've got to keep moving forward. Yeah. So it was it was still, I think, to date, like, the best experience of my life. Because it just meant so much to make it there and to finish it when so many people don't. Yeah. Well, understandably. Yeah. And since, I mean, since doing that, do you just feel like you could do any race out there I did you know I felt invincible I felt because so many you know it's MDS has this different this this kind of perception yes they call it the toughest foot race on earth for me it's not it's not the toughest foot race on earth it's an iconic race but I guess because of the training that I'd gone through and who I was under the coaching of and the heat acclimation that I'd done and, and maybe it's genetic as well. You know, I'm mixed race, you know, I'm mixed race and maybe I'm more able to cope in the heat. You know, all of these things that I ask myself, like, why did it just feel so good being out there? Um, but yeah, when I did it, I was like, I've just like completed. I did everything I wanted to do. I wanted to be a mid-packer. I didn't think that I'd be anywhere near the top 10 women, you know, but, and I was, and I was, I beat all the men in my 10, you know, and they would all come Amazing. around the corner after they'd been there and they'd just be like, and every time they'd see me there, they, you could just say they were so deflated. They were like, oh my God, you're a machine. But I did, I felt like a machine. And it just proved to me the power of like working with a coach that really understands the process of training and understands women mm-hmm. and and that having that belief in yourself. So yeah, when I finished that, I was like, right, what's next? Wow. Do you do you think as a recovering alcoholic, shifting your focus onto that training and that goal helped your recovery? And my other question linked to that is, I don't know if there is anything in this, but having an addiction, do you think that addiction almost shifts from one thing to another when that's a bit of a mindset? You know, we all talk about being addicted to running, but I do. do you think I think if you're that-, that personality. I think, I think, you know, I am a woman who, and I, I can track it back to when I was a kid. I remember being at my grand, I, I, my grandfather was a real saving um, saving grace for me when I was growing up, you know, to escape a lot of the kind of racism that I was encountering 
near where I lived. And I remember even being a kid, like going to the, his larder and he would have um, like biscuits and everything like that. And I remember just standing there and like biscuit after biscuit, like that sugar rush, you know, just sugar, sugar. So I can really trace back like, to even being a kid, like the need, like more, more, more. And I believe that it, for me, it's like genetic, my addiction, the addiction gene. I, I believe that it's there. Uh, you know, my sister, I have a sister. She can take it or leave it, alcohol. And, you know, she she doesn't have that kind of switch. She, she can turn it off. So I think that it's always been there for me. And I think, yeah, absolutely. I put down the alcohol. And part of the reason for putting down the alcohol was that, you know, my husband could see I was killing myself and kind of you know I had to make a decision as to whether I wanted to continue in this addiction as a high functioning alcoholic whatever that means because I wasn't functioning at all um or whether I wanted to get help so I decided to get help and yeah I guess absolutely I think that alcohol uh, running took over because it was that like I want to go out and do it I need to do it I need to be out there but you know what running I'm never my husband's never going to leave me because I run too much my my I'm never going to lose my house because I run too much you know yeah we know you know we hear stories about you know runners that that do that you know they they drop dead or or, you know they die or whatever but you know this obsession this addiction has only given to me Mm -hmm. whereas my alcoholism took almost everything from me so Mm -hmm. I'm quite happy to be addicted to running because because I think without it I without it I don't think I know without it I wouldn't be here I wouldn't be here if Mm. I hadn't put down the alcohol the way that my addiction was growing uh the way that it was starting to take over every aspect of my life put me in situations that were really really dangerous I I wouldn't have made it here today and it's only through therapy medication support the love of my husband the support of my friends that that made me believe that my life it it was worth working through the stuff and the reasons that I drank and a lot of the reasons that I drank were the stuff that you know that I talk about within the book which was you know stems from the rural racism that I suffered as a young child right through to a young woman and and what that does to you you know mm. and, and and you wanting and and I you know for me it was racism for many other people it's a lot of other it, it could be any form of trauma yeah but unresolved trauma is what will kill you you just find an outlet to deal with that trauma and for me as a kid it was sugar and then when I found alcohol it was alcohol and now I don't think the trauma is unresolved but I think it's always it's always there so there I work through the trauma when I'm running rather than trying to numb myself from it. Mm. So, yeah. And it also seems like you really, you've used that trauma and the adversity for such good. Mm. And one of the ways you've done that, of course, is founding Black Trail Runners, mm. which seems like came from that place of, you know, experiencing that racism and the drive to change it. So can you just tell us, tell us a bit about Black Trail Runners, how you got started with it? What do you do? What What are the yeah. runs you go on? So how we got started with it was, I got into trail running. I started going to the mountains um, because again, I was like, okay, what's the next after MDS? Mountain running could be a good thing to try. And I had an experience in 2019 where I was in the Alps. I'd never been anywhere like that. As I say, we grew, we grew up poor. I didn't go on a plane until I was 17. And I was taking part in a race at the Alps. Again, it was another race where I look around, little representation of women, no representation of women of colour. But when you grow up in spaces where you are the only one, you just, it becomes the norm. And I didn't really think about it too much on that start line. But when I did think about it was when I was traversing off a coal on my way back to the finish line um, in the Alps and I lost my footing and I slipped my foot my feet went from under me and I slipped and it was a, a vertical drop and I was hanging on screaming screaming for my life because I thought if I fall 
I'm either going to be seriously injured or I'm going to die here. And I don't want to die here. Like, I'm just in a race. You know, it's this wasn't supposed to be a, an experience that was a life-threatening experience. And I was screaming for help um, because I was hanging on to, to snow and my poles were kind of over on the ledge. And five... When the first man went past me without acknowledging I was there, I was like, maybe he's just got headphones in or something like that. But, you know, you couldn't not see me there. You could certainly couldn't not hear, hear me. And then the second went past. And then the third. And then the fourth. And I was screaming for my life. Like blood-curdling screams, like, please help me, please help me. And... Although they could see me, no one reached out to help me. And I remember just like the, the, the snow melting and me just putting my head into the side of this ledge and thinking, I'm dying. This is it. Like, this is, and you know, you, you have these conversations, you know, I say, you know, my, I hope my children know I love them. And, you know, and this isn't how it's supposed to end. And... I really thought that that was it. And it was the sixth man who was a dark-skinned Italian man and he couldn't speak English and I couldn't speak Italian, but he saw me and he just grabbed my hand and just by eye contact, he was like, you know, kick into the side. Mm -hmm. And he just pulled me up off that. And I and I, kept, I, I came off that, off that snow bit and off that ledge and he kind of looked down the mountains and he was saying them you know and he expletives and and I allowed I let him go I said you know just go but it took everything to get off that mountain and when I got to the next checkpoint I I was I was like why like, I was sitting there and it, I was drinking tea and I was like why and then suddenly it was just like because I don't look like someone that needed help and when I say that, it's 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 I want to explain that a bit because when when it comes to women of colour, um, and especially black women, there is a trope around like strong. You know, you hear these tropes, strong, aggressive black women. We see it at the moment with, you know, anyone that watches I'm a celebrity, the whole Nella Rose and in um and 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 the fact that we're seen as these people that, you know, we the terms loud, aggressive, strong. And these are stereotypes about women of colour. So therefore, I knew that part of that played into it. And the other part that played into it is, you know, did these men, and they were all white, did they have anyone within their lives that kind of looked like me that they would have wanted to reach out to? And for me to say that, it comes from my lived experience of being in situations where I've asked for help as a kid, as yeah, and I've, I haven't got it, the same as maybe a friend of mine who was white and and that made me think I'm not safe here like and also being at the races and not seeing any other people of color no one that shares that same lived experience of you as you is a massive problem and I went and complained about it at the end when I've made it to the finish line nothing was done and we're told in running aren't we like if you see someone down Put your time out and your race out the window. Like, mm. you help. You yeah, know, yeah. Life. If someone's yeah. hurt, you yeah. stop and help. And and it really made me question being in the sport. It really made me question whether I was safe here. And it that was going into 2020. Lockdown. You know, the rise of Black Lives Matter. Amud Arbery, a black runner that was murdered in America. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. Be only being allowed out for an hour a day, you know, the, the trails going from like empty trails I'd run to them being full. And in that whole time, I was seeking community. I was like, where are the communities for people of colour in order to be represented and to feel safe? And, and they weren't there. In trail running, there were a lot of London-based, especially run crews that were for diverse communities. Um but there wasn't anything in trail at all. And I realized when I was out on my, my one hour runs that, you know, I'm going to have to try and do something about this myself. And, you know, the world, the universe delivers and that delivered to me, Sunny, who is a co-founder of Black Trail Runners, Phil, Rachel, Marcus Brown, who, you know, does a Runner's Life podcast. And they were all the co-founders and we just got on a Zoom and were like, 
you know, there is a massive lack of underrepresentation of people of color, black people, especially in trail running. We should try and do something about that. But we had no idea. We had no idea that when we pressed the button in July 2020, that it would go global. Because all I was like, I was just like, oh my God, I'm just around other people here, the six of us. You all love trail running too. And if I only ever find you. But, you know, there is a lack of representation. There's a lack of inclusion. And so Black Trail Runners set up an issue as a community and campaigning charity. And our big campaign was first and foremost, you know, 4.5% of the UK population population identify as black or black mixed, yet less than 0.7% of those that register in trail events are black or black mixed. Now, that's a massive problem in itself. Mm -hmm. Anyone can see that. But what the real misunderstanding is and what the 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 kickback, negative kickback we've had is, well, they just don't want to run. And it's not true. It's mm. not. The reason black people don't run trails isn't because they don't want to run. It's because there are barriers that exist. I've just explained one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Safety. When you look around a race and you're on a start line and... Your lived experience is that, for in my experience of being othered, and you're at a race and it's a race and you look around and still you're the only one. That just kind of creates this thing inside you. It's like, oh God, again, I'm having to deal with this. Mm. Where, again, where are the people that look like me? I suppose From you're going to think, well, I can't do it because there it. aren't other people doing because it. Because why aren't other people doing it? There's got to be a reason other people aren't mm. doing it. Is it because I'm not safe? So you have to really start to, rather than just think, oh, well, the reason that they're not doing it is because they don't want to. There are barriers and we identified those those areas as in skill access skills and representation access being financial access in trail running trail kit itself trainers you know 80 to 150 quid for a pair of trail shoes try going on the trails in road shoes at this time of year you're not going to get very far you know also backpacks waterproof kit you know like it's expensive let's not kid ourselves that like running is free like it's not free and the access to the outdoors, you know, many of our members of our community are urbanized. Because, and that goes back to the transatlantic slave trade. It goes back to Windrush. It goes back to as enslaved or free people as coming to the UK, being taken to ports in cities and therefore communities growing. Took me 100, it cost me 100 quid to get here today from Gloucestershire. Like I'm privileged, I can afford that. But again, you know, if we look at society, like, you know, we look Mm. at pay scales, etc. So you have to understand what the barriers are in order to address it. And I think that unfortunately within the industry that there hadn't been up until 2020 that real impetus to understand what the barriers were for access skills. How do you trail run? What does, is it, how is it different from road running? Where do you do it? If you've never been taught how to read a map, how do you know where's safe to go? What's a public footpath? What's private? Like all of these things stop yeah. people. And so that's what we do day to day. We work on those, addressing those barriers via in-person events, online events, representation, you know, speaking to event organizers, speaking to brands. And we became a charity in 2021. So now all of the charitable funds that we raise are put back into addressing those barriers and getting more people of colour out on the trails. And it's one of the best things I've ever done in my life. I believe I was born to like co-found and be a trustee and, and to lead this community and you know, our event earlier this year, Black to the Trails, which was like globally the most diverse trail running event. It's 70% people of colour, 70% female. So all of these intersections that that haven't been represented within the sport, you if you really seek to diversify in one area, ultimately you start diversifying in other areas as well you know whether it's you know lgbtqia plus whether it's you know transgender runners whether it's women whether it's you know those with less able bodied you know if you really work to look through a lens of diversity in one area you can't help but bring it in other areas and and we've shown that we have the case study to prove it so it's a beautiful thing oh that yeah that is incredible and you've you know to to use that, I guess, adversity to, to do all of this, 
what is this in you that kind of lets you or like makes you use that to fuel the fire where a lot of people you know would be beaten down by it Mm. and would look at their situation and like um when you're in the alps would go away from that and be like actually i don't belong here i'm not going to go back is that something you know is that something that's always existed in you that instinct to be like i am not going to be beaten down i'm going to fight this and actually turn it into such a force for good or is that something you've kind of taught yourself? I think that that resilience, that that survival is something that from a really, from a little girl growing up in a family where, you know, my mother was white and my, my sister was white presenting. So my little sister never experienced any form of racism. But... And, and I never had anyone as a child to talk to about it. My father didn't live with us. He's black. And so I only had myself to to lift myself up day after day after day and to, to continue to move on and to be the representation that I needed to see in my own little way. And I think that it is that resilience, it is that ability to dust myself down and think, okay, what does today need to look like in order to be able to move forward? I think that that's what keeps me that was what keeps me stepping on it what it's what stops me thinking you know I'm not going to do this anymore because five men didn't help me what it what it meant was that I need to now find a community or create it where no one will ever experience this again it led me to write the book to talk about that you know and to have these conversations with people such as yourself around like this is what it is to be a person of color within this industry like you know we're not safe and until we feel safe i will continue to fight the good fight um you have to have within any industry you know sports especially because it has so much power to do good i think that you have to have those those trailblazers and people that if they didn't see it then they have to be the ones to be it. And I think that, you know, I really believe that that's why I was put on this earth is is to not shy away from having really uncomfortable conversations, which I've had with event organisers, with brands, um, but also to use my experience in my journey as like, you know, this is this is what it can be. Like, you know, this is what you can do. It just takes, it takes a support you know, it takes a belief and inner belief that I can do. I can try that too. Um, I think that, yeah, people often ask me like, you know, how do you pick yourself up even in ultra marathons when you're broken? You know, I did the spine race last year, which was 268 miles and I was broken so (laughs) many times, but there is just this inner well that is really, really deep that, I think from a young child has been molded and that I'm able to really get that bucket and go deep in order to get what I need out of myself to keep moving forward where other people don't you know other people be like that's enough now I, you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put my body or my mind through this in a race anymore or in life I'm not gonna go mm. there again and do that whereas I'm like I can dig really, really deep in order to continue to move forward. And I think that gives me just a really unique set of skills to do this work yeah. in terms of social justice, but also in ultra marathons as well. Yeah. You, you just have such an inspirational mindset. <laughs> <laughs> and outside of black trail runners, do you feel like the participation of black runners has increased in recent years and what more can be done in the communities yeah I think that certainly within you know I I think we you know we know that this is a long process it was never going to be quick I think that we see we are seeing the change happen slowly um and it's up to me to kind of pass that mic and empower other people within the community to step up and to lead wherever they can I think that unfortunately what we've seen happen since 2020, since the rise in BLM, since Black Tuesday, when many brands said, you know, we need to do better, be better, etc. I think that what we're seeing now within our work is kind of, you know, there's been two steps forwards and five steps back in the sense that 
kind of maybe those those people that have the power seeing it as a bit of a trend you know they've done their thing you know they've put a black person on the cover or they've they've incorporated more people of color as their ambassadors and that's all they need to do and it's far from all they need to do you know there's so mm-hmm. much work that needs to be done internally in these brands you know people of color on the boards people people of color in terms of budget looking through all marketing and event planning through the lens of what it is to be a person of color rather than just think oh well we've done that we've ticked a box we need to move on so I think I would really encourage those people that are in charge of budgets that are in charge of strategy to ensure that they are always consulting with people with that lived experience we've shown with black to the trails when you organize through that lens when you are in charge or planning through that lens the people come Mm. And they're paying, you know, they'll pay the money and they'll buy the kit. So there is a market there, but you have to entrust people of colour to be responsible for helping to make those decisions. Um, And that's what I want to see more of. Yeah, Mm. so rather than just like the token, we've Mm -hmm. done something, it's actually got to continue, you've got to continue that work. You've got to continue the work. Yeah, I mean, there is just so far to go. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, we I I'm a real I really am a glass half full type of person, mm, and at least know? there has been a step forward. And there have been those steps forward, and there are an amazing not just BT Black Trail Runners, but other communities, other leaders that are out there every day doing the work. But what we need is is the resources to do that work, funding and human resource. So you know, I'm always striving to you know, bring my seat to the table. You know, I'm not even asking for it anymore. I'm like, I'm going to bring my seat to this table and it's on you to be open to the discussions that we need to have and to trust the expertise that me and others bring in terms of how to really create more diversity within the sports Mm. or diversity within your companies. Um, And if you want to see change, you have to be willing to have those uncomfortable conversations. And Mm. it's the people that are willing to do that, that you see making the change. Brand wise, um, the North Face, for example, you know, last week at Kendall Mountain Festival, they launched their racial, racial diversity kind of training type, type course for brands. So there are brands out there, Patagonia being another one of them, that actually they're not doing the performative work. They're actually doing the real work internally that is now coming to pass externally that they know is a long-term sustainable thing. And that's what it is. It's about sustainability because we Brennan's great, isn't it? It's and it should so be so inclusive. That's you know, it. The, the Anyone can do it. Anyone yeah. can do it. You know, yeah. how no matter how fast or slow you are, what distance you do, it's great. I love this sport. Mm-hmm. And I just want to see, I want to be an old woman and I want to switch on and look at a race and I want to see a global community represented. That's yeah. what I want. And yeah. I want to just smile knowing I've played a little part in that. And yeah job done if I see that you definitely have played a big part in that (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing um but that leads me on to the last question that we ask all our guests is what is your high five me moment so the moment in your running career your work with black trail runners where you would just give yourself a high five it you know it was standing as as the first as the UK's first black mixed race race director at Black to the Trails in May Dunstable Downs and it was standing there and it was seeing people of color and white allies just with such joy taking part in trail running and just looking out on this beautiful day and listening to the DJs that were there and smelling the Caribbean food and seeing the colours and thinking, we did this. This came from that that seed of an idea 18 months ago to could we do this? And knowing, leading that in that happening was just like the best moment. Oh, it was I can just imagine. the best moment. And can you even imagine that like, you know, take take it right back to that first run that you went on and you were questioning whether you even wanted to exist anymore and you felt so you know like you couldn't yeah do anything yeah 
does it even feel like? Yeah. I didn't want to be, I did not want to. Is that just a different person? She does feel like a different person, but also she is me and I am she. And, but yeah, it just, it feels like a lifetime ago, you know, because now I am, you know, cut me in half and I'm like, I'm an ultra runner, I'm black, I'm a black trail runner, I'm a activist. And that pain that she felt fueled this journey because it was just initially like running to, running to kind of get that freedom of mind. And then it kind of transpired and it grew and, and everything like that. And, and that led her to be standing on that line looking at like, wow, this is what, this is what running can do for not just me, but for so many people who haven't felt a sense of a sense of place within this sport. Mm. And we have young, old, pregnant women, people that have never trail run before come to be part of this this running community. And isn't it a beautiful thing? Yeah. Wow, what what a message to end on. Serena, thank you so much for coming on the show today and just sharing your absolutely amazing inspirational story i think you know whether people are have never trail run before have been trail running all their lives everyone will have something to take away from this and be so inspired to get out there get onto the trails go and join the communities that you wouldn't necessarily think about joining and just explore something different so thank you so much for sharing all of that thank you thanks so much for having me Thanks for joining us for 5 Miles Easy. See you next week.